Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. That's right. Tuttle said it. The bleachers are open and open again. They are. Uh, it has been a great month. This is Christmas time. We are getting into full swing and I cannot wait. Uh, we've got a big surprise for our kids that... Uh, uh, we, we are thoroughly excited about. We are going to go on a road trip for our Christmas. But uh, Tuttle, mm. we are now a f- couple of weeks removed now from Las Vegas. And I think that my liver has finally recovered from the situation I put it in. I think that my eyeballs have finally recovered from the situation they were put in. And it was one of those things where I probably, I didn't drink too much in the sense where I got absolutely hammered. I think I had some enjoyable, fun, good times and got to a point where I was like, okay, I've had enough (laughs) and uh, decided to shut it down. But the amount of football that we were able to watch was absolutely unbelievable. And of course, you know, everything's in excess in, in Vegas. So the fact that we were able to, on Saturday, watch college football until the wee hours of the night with the Cal football game, and then the next day, we're sitting at a sports book watching 38,000 TV screens going bonkers at the same time and trying to you know, control that sports ADD that we had that day and watch all of these games and cheer and hear the ebbs and flow of that sports book with all the bets going on <laughs> was highly exciting for me and maybe a little over... Uh, over over uh, sensitized, I guess, but uh, I've never been in that situation to be honest with you. But it was highly enjoyable, and I'm still working, you know, to get some of that buzz and some of that excitement of that weekend off. So I want to know how you're doing, Tuttle. What's it like getting back in the family mode, and uh, how how are you doing currently? We'll talk a little bit about our bets after I get uh, a little more in depth how Tuttle is recovering from that weekend. Yeah, Blummer, uh, good to be back, man. Good to be back. I would say the same. I think you you hit the nail on the head in terms of the steady stream. I mean, we did not get after it like party party city, <laughs> but uh, we definitely you know opened up a bar tab and enjoyed ourselves. And uh, the thing that stands out to me is I realized I hadn't seen you in about three years, two and a half years. We decided with pathetic? COVID, and I feel like I see you all the time. But man, it was really good to sit next to you and. Um, you know, have a couple of drinks and talk football and, you know, kind of learn more about, um, um, you know, where we want the podcast to go and all those kind of things. It was just good to get together. The human contact was awesome. Um, and, uh, and I totally uh, echo what you said about the, the overstimulation. I think that's the word, uh, overstimulation there. There are so many televisions and so much going on and, I think maybe if there is a next time when we visit the beautiful Blue Wire Studios, um, you know, maybe we, we, we hit Top Golf or we actually get out of the casino and go golfing for part of the day because <laughs> what a I mean, it's almost yeah, what a what a what a shocking idea. Um, because the dinner was awesome. Um, you know, when we went out to dinner, it was a great great time. The Blue Wire adventure was awesome, but uh, I think you know, sitting at the same table for 12 hours, watching as much football as we possibly can and eating as much food and drinking as much as we did. It's kind of like, all right, you know, I think we could uh, add a little variety to our life, but man, it was a lot of fun. And I think I, I really enjoyed kind of, I'm not a huge gambler, but I understand how to gamble, I guess. And I think explaining it to you guys and some of the sides and all that stuff. And I mean, I, I, I had a lot of fun doing that as well. So, uh, yeah, it was a good time. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm I'm feeling good now to be back home as well. I think isn't that the best part? You texted me after the best part about oh, a vacation, man. honestly. And it doesn't matter where you go; it doesn't have to be Vegas. 
But, you know, three days out of your own environment, coming back and getting in your own bed is like, whoo, that's when you know you're back. And so I'm feeling fresh, refreshed and ready to go. And, uh, and it was a great time. No, I completely agree. It's kind of fascinating, you know, having traveled as much as I have over the years with baseball, and I'm sure you also with baseball and, and jobs that you've had and things like that, to, you know, and then going from that to not traveling for two years and then getting in a hotel room and, you know, just this, the overstimulation is exactly what it is because, you know, every environment and every state is so different, uh, you know, and, Vegas to be thrown into the fire like that after not traveling for two years, there is a lot going on. And I don't think I blinked. <laughs> I don't think I blinked for two days because I was staring at the TV so much. And then like all of the talk between you, myself, uh, Mark Ramos, our producer who got to come out with us. And we all got to kind of get the Bleacher Blums crew together and see face to face was thoroughly exciting. And you're right about the Blue Wire uh, studio, they did a phenomenal job. Uh, you know, if you're following uh, Tuttle or myself or uh, at Bleacher Blums on Instagram, you're going to see a lot of pictures and a lot of behind the scenes type stuff. I was fascinated at their setup. It would be wonderful to be able to have a room in your house that was actually as glorious as that. But the cameras, the angles, and some of the video uh, was was a lot of fun. And you know what? I'm listening to that podcast, those podcasts that we recorded, and I maybe owe you a little bit of an apology because you talked about the excitement of actually seeing each other in person for the first time in two, three years, and then you add the environment of the studio like that and recording a podcast. Dude, I, I went and I and probably had something to do with the the Nespresso shot I had before I went into the into the booth. I I was I was a little talkative. I was a little hyper going in there, and I had a tendency to kind of. In, enjoy the moment and grab that mic a little bit. So I apologize for the my overstimulated banter on the podcast because I was friggin' stoked to be in there. And then you add that boost of caffeine. And I about lost my mind, dude. Hey, I mean, now you know how I live most days. You guys were talking about my ADD leading up to that. I think I, <laughs> you, I think you were just trying to echo what you thought I might bring to the to the podcast. But I think that's, I mean, that's why the two of us are on here. We kind of, you know, some days you have it, some days I have it, and um, that's your True. profession. I think you laid down on some good tape and and uh, I I didn't feel shunned at all. I mean, what I would like to do honestly, it would have been fun if we could have done you know, next time we go out there for that extended period of time like 3 days, we should do a podcast every day. It should be Yeah. You know, I kind of feel like we could have got it in on Sunday or something like that. But uh but yeah, no, it was it was really enjoyable and I think you pointed out not to I mean, that's one of the nicer studios you've been in. I know you're a traveling studio guy, but I mean, that's it's big time studio, so I recommend that the listeners of this podcast, if you, uh, if next time we go out there for a road trip and we mention it on here, I would say you guys just come out. You can stand by the glass there and hear us and meet us and see us live. And uh, I mean, I, I I don't know why the wind put that studio in there, but man, it was great for us. And I think uh, I think hopefully they will, uh, you know, get some support and get some uh, kind of some. Uh, some publicity behind the Blue Wire podcast studio that's in the Wind yeah. Casino because man, I mean, it was it was a plus and it was professional and you know I think it gives us a little uh, gives Mark Ramos a lot of credibility too because I, I didn't really notice a difference in the sound of the podcast. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> so we do this podcast from our coat closet in our own little 
you know, back office. But uh, so our sound is still the same. But I think what we already talked about, the personal connection and sitting in the same room and just that environment there was really cool. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing it again. And we don't have to do it at the Blue Wire podcast studio. I mean, maybe we find a studio in Houston or I mean, I just I like the studio environment and that was new to me and I was pumped. Mm -hmm. No, it is. We can record anywhere like St. Arnold. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we, we can make these things happen. It, it will be easy to do. And I agree with you in the sense that maybe, you know, in the future we can actually time this out a little bit better, maybe give it like five, six months to let people prepare and find a weekend to go out there. And then our good buddy Mark Ramos with Ram Shirts brings out some uh, Bleacher Blum swag. And then all of a sudden you've got a, you've got your T-shirt and you've got your hat and you have Tuttle sign it for you right there outside the Blue Wire Studios. So I think there will be an opportunity for us to get back out there. And thinking about getting back out there and picking Picking a weekend to be able to do it, whether it be March Madness, the World Series, the Super Bowl, uh, you know, a college football weekend, we found ourselves, and I went in with the idea that I'm going to be a little more aggressive as far as betting because I'm not a big better. I lose 20 bucks at a roulette table and I freak out, unlike some people I know across the way on the left coast. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I lose my mind. But I went in with the intent that I am going to have total explain to me this whole betting sheet and everything, and I was going to make some substantial bets. And on on college football on Saturday, and then the NFL on Sunday, and it was kind of it was really interesting. Some of the games I didn't know about, I tried to read into the numbers a little bit and try and play some of the Vegas odds that they were bringing, uh, you know, the money lines and things like that. And then there were other times where I just went with my heart, like the Cal football game and uh, you know the uh, 49er game, and you know I I won one, lost one, and then the Chiefs. I'm like, screw it, the Chiefs are going to blow them out, and. If, of course, the Chiefs go out and blow them out. But the interesting thing to me is I think we bet on about close to 10 games, I feel like, and I literally broke even on all of them. So I don't know if that's a wash, if that's a good thing. I mean, it's great that I didn't end up losing, but the idea of betting is so funny because you're intimate with some teams. You're not so intimate with others. You're trying to read uh, you know, what's happening with uh, the sheets in front of you. You're trying to pay attention to who's betting on what lines and going to every single app on the internet. Uh, so I found that kind of entertaining that you actually put the intellectual part into it along with the heart, but uh, I broke even. I don't know how you did, Tuttle. You probably did a little bit better, but uh, it was a lot of fun for me to kind of see that environment and be in that environment and, uh, you know, sweat pretty much every NFL game I watched on Sunday. And I think that's the key is sweating a little bit. I think it, you know, when people <laughs> talk about the juice, I mean, it does create a little more excitement. I mean, we talked about the Jets. I teased the Jets down. Uh, to, or up to 13 and a half points and the guy missed two extra points and they lost the game by, you know, 11 points it's or amazing. Uh, by 15. And I'm just thinking, gosh, man, 15, if he kicks the two extra points, you know, you win that bet. But I think it does create a little more excitement. I think I was, I might've bet one extra game than you, but I wasn't much better than 50, 50. I, I went pretty heavy on the 49ers and they just, they ate the, you know, they, oh, they crapped the bed on us. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, we won uh, the Cal game, and we won the Rams game, and we won the Chiefs game. I think I might have been 60-40 or 50-50. But I will tell you this, too. This might give you a little more comfort or confidence. The Sharps, the big guys that bet, the whales, the guys that have you know $250,000 bankrolls, and they kind of piecemeal it every weekend and figure out. On the NFL, I think if you're a successful, like, make a living at betting the NFL, which sounds so funny to say, yeah, I make a living. What do you do? I Man, gamble. some high-stress you're That is. But if you're 57% or 58%, you're killing it. 
Wow. So you're just trying to get the edges, right? Because if you look at big dollars, right? If you're 57 mm-hmm. percent and your you know your bankroll's 500,000, you're making some money that weekend. So you just have to be a little better than 50-50. But I think for the amateur, you learn this too. I mean, you can get into the analytics, get into the weeds, and then you know make a bet with your heart and be like, oh, I won that bet. You know, I like that team. They have a red jersey or whatever. So I think it. <laughs> I I think it's fun. I enjoy it. I think you enjoyed it as well, but I think you yes. just, you know, yeah, it just puts a little, uh, puts a little extra kind of emphasis on the game. But like you said, we didn't, <laughs> big for us might not be big for some other people. <laughs> so we, we made it enjoyable for us. And I think that is actually the key to gambling, yes. which is, you know, don't gamble what you don't got and, you know, and put a little on the game and make it fun. So when in Vegas, do as they do. Yeah, and and we did. We had a blast doing it. I think it would be fascinating to get uh, somebody who makes those odds and actually have them in because it's fascinating to me watching so many games that weekend and realizing how close they were to actually some of those lines and some of the uh, point differences and who's getting and who's not getting the points. Uh, that that's the part that blows me away because you know you're sitting there watching. Uh, who was it, the the Jets and the Eagles, and you're going, dude, this game is so unbelievably on point to what they said, the over-unders and how yep. close they got to the point totals and things like that. It's mind-blowing. The- They're close on all the numbers. I mean, it's I mean, over-under. It's you yeah. know goal differential. It's touchdowns. I mean, it's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, we didn't get into that. We actually didn't get into the prop bets. We didn't get into the first half, second half, some of the numbers like that. I mean, that's a whole nother animal. I was having enough trying to digest, you know, the the five tickets I had in my hand at the time as I'm sweating out, like Tuttle said, every single point that's being put on the board. And then on top of that, I got my damn fantasy football team out there doing things. I find out we're watching Kyler Murray go nuts against the Bears. He's on my bench. I'm like, son of a I'm like, I didn't know the? that. I was yeah. I didn't know that either until that night, like the next oh, day when I looked at my score. I'm like, wait a minute, why? Who's this guy on the bench? He's got 35 points. Oh, Kyler oh. Murray, way to go, coach. Oh, uh, here's another problem with Vegas: is Tito's and sodas at 10 in the morning <laughs> with tied to an americano, and you're like, yeah, I got Kyler Murray today. Good job, Kyler. Keep. Oh my gosh, Two I didn't flags have on the play. We've got Sorry. offsetting penalties. We've got an upper <laughs> over here, a downer over here. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was like. That's funny. Oh, did you still win your game? I'm sure you did. That's the funny yes. part. Yeah. No, I did. So yeah, that's why no. you're laughing about it. I still I, got I, pummeled. I yeah. I got my 10th win. I had Carson Wentz as my quarterback. The Colts go out and win 31 to nothing. And he scores 10 points. I mean, you have the, Kyler Murray in that, a barn burner in Chicago. I'm like, how yeah. is that even possible? I guess Jonathan Taylor. That's how. Well, Jonathan Taylor, I mean, he it's like he's playing high school football against some of these NFL teams, but then you add into the mix, they're playing the Texans, and how do they score 31 points, and Carson Wentz only has 10? So that does give you an idea that maybe Jonathan Taylor went a little bit nuts on that game, but uh, is this wild. Is this podcast popular in Houston? Because um, yes. I, I don't know if we want to talk about the Houston Texans at all. Well, I think we're <laughs> we done should talking not. about them, Okay, we? good. I mean, that's the extent that you can talk about them. <laughs> I mean, we did, watching... this, we did more on this podcast than they did in that game on Sunday. Yeah, that's right. My favorite stat... That, and I do remember this through the haze of espresso and uh, and alcohol was uh, they were in the third quarter and they had completed zero passes to a wide receiver. <laughs> <laughs> they had competed all their passes to running backs and tight ends. Yeah, I mean, that game's a couple of Sundays ago, and that's the one number you remember from that game. That's, that's right. unbelievable. I mean, how, what are the go. chances? And I think Tyrod Taylor's been hurt again. So, you know, what a, what a, what a mess. An absolute debacle. mess. Debacle. Yeah, complete debacle. But you know what's not a mess? Us. And a lot of the reason is that because we have sponsors, and here they are. 
The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Thank you to our sponsors on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we are back. And during these tough times, these rough times for us podcasters trying to dig up information, especially on Major League Baseball, considering their current situation, we are grateful to have our producer every time we go on air. But we're also grateful for fans who go through our producer to give us great questions. So we're going to do a little mailbag situation right here and get some questions from the fans. I'd like to introduce everybody to our unbelievably great producer, Mark Ramos. What up, Ramos? What up? What up? So, <laughs> so let, let's get into it. The first question is, what's the biggest on-field brawl that you've been a part of? Oh, man. Th- this is a good one. And it, oddly enough, it's not. It, mine didn't happen in the big leagues. Mine happened in high school. It, uh, uh, you remember area code games? Did you ever play in those, Tuttle? Yes, sir. I played against oh. your agent in the area code games, if you want to know. Oh, how about that? Joel Wolf. Tell, that's right. Joel Wolf. Yeah, Joel Wolf, Chris Pritchett, Phil Nevin. Oh, um, gosh. Yeah, we played on the same team as some of those guys, too. So it was good how stuff. Funny. Charles Johnson, tons of dudes. Yeah. So out in California, they had area code games, and they were, you know, we didn't have club. I had club soccer at the time, but we didn't have club baseball. So you went from your high school season to, you know, some summer ball, and then you had, um, area code games where everybody in the same area code, you'd make this all-star team out of it. And in Chino, we only had two teams to pick from. So I made the team, Um, but we had area code. (laughs) We had area code games, but where we were at in Southern California and at that time were interesting to say the least. We were, everybody was super talented, but you know, there there was a culture back then that was a little bit rougher around the edges. Uh, You know, gangs were big back then. And, um, rivalries were you know exaggerated in high school because you've got a bunch of dudes with testosterone and puberty and trying to figure things out much like my dog um yes, you know barking at everything we were barking at everything but uh we had a game and i want to man it, it was either ontario or pomona but in southern california we went and played this game uh and we played we beat the other team and at the end of the game you know you'd always have those handshake lines where you're going across and keep in mind, we're 17, 18 years old, and we're high-fiving, and a couple of fans from the opposing team somehow got in this high-five line. And, oh, my gosh. You get through some of the players, and all of a sudden, one dude puts a hand up to high-five. They grab that hand, pull the guy in, and boom! All of a sudden, melee. We, ha- we have two. We have the high school teams, uh, the area code teams going at it, and then we had the, the fans, friends, brothers, sisters, parents. Oh, 
it was just a mountain and a, it looked like a peanuts cartoon with just a mountain oh, wow. of people and dust coming out of it. <laughs> and for about 15, 20 minutes, you're just trying to like just make it out of this melee. And it, it was a legit, you know, brawl. That was the only brawl I ever remember. And it was absolute chaos, scary as hell. We eventually got out of it and, you know, a couple of bumps and bruises, bloody lips, things like that. But uh, we didn't play those guys again uh, for obvious reasons. And uh, I only had a couple of big league brawls where we kind of came out and just kind of push and shove, but nothing major. Those are exactly what you think they are on TV. We didn't have one of these ones where, uh, who was it, uh, Amari for uh, the Reds diving into the Pittsburgh, you know, dugout trying to fight everybody or the Mets dugout or whatever it was. Uh, we didn't have anything as violent as that for whatever reason, but uh, that was the extent of my brawl experience in in base in baseball was in high school. Yeah, and shockingly, my brawl story didn't happen in the big leagues either. I know that's really hard to believe, <laughs> but uh, I had a good one in the minor leagues. I was going to ask you a question though: Who's the closer for the White Sox? He's got the uh, British accent, the Australian. Oh, accent. The, the Australian guy, uh, Liam Hendricks. Yeah, Liam Hendricks was just talking about how the brawls. I mean, here's a guy that grew up in Australia playing rugby or whatever, but he's like, <laughs> yeah. he's like, these aren't brawls. Like, this is just like we go out there, we shake hands, we say, "Hey, mate, how you doing?" It was like it was, his his response was great. Like, there's just no, you know, it's unless you're pissed off or you're in the middle of it, it's kind of like, "Hey, buddy, let's just shake hands with the other bullpen." So he had a really funny take recently. I don't know why that stuck out. So, um, Phillies. Uh, South Carolina, um, where was their, uh, low A ball team? I got to remember, um, we were in South Carolina. So anyway, uh, yeah, I don't know where their A ball team was because I remember Florida state league. They're in Clearwater. Yep. And then double A was Reading, Pennsylvania, but I, yeah. I, I missed and them. And triple A was Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, believe it or not yeah. too. Yeah. Scranton, no, that's what I remember. So they, yep. yep. So, uh, I'll think of it. But anyway, we were playing the Phillies three-game series, four-game series, as you always do. And I was the starter on the day game, the Sunday getaway day game. But the uh, Saturday night before, there was like three hit batters on both teams. And so it was kind of one of those games where it was like, yeah, that guy got hit, that guy got hit. And then we got hit. And it wasn't really like the retaliation thing. It was just, you know, minor league pitchers. The ball was getting away and a guy got hit. And it wasn't even, I don't remember it that well in the sense that I don't remember us being like, battling for first place or picking off guys, you know, as, as a pitcher, you would know like, Oh, we got to hit this guy or we don't have to hit this guy. But it just was a little, what do you want to say? Chippy, I think is the word <laughs> similar to what you said one. about that fan just thrown down. Yeah. It was just kind of chippy. So, you know, and I liked pitching day games, you know, because everyone was, especially in the minor leagues, they were like, ah, oh, three days a night. And then they got to be out there. And then, you know, the catcher's probably resting or something. It was like, I always had success like popping up the next day and like, all of a sudden you're in the sixth inning with seven punch outs. You're like, yeah, <laughs> these guys are tired. <laughs> so I gave up. This is so weird. I gave up a grand slam in the first inning. I ended up thinking, I, I think I ended up being a winning pitcher. Like, Nice. Going six innings, giving up four runs, but I gave up a grand slam in the first inning and that was not good. But, um, but it wasn't, I mean, I don't remember, like nobody pimped a home run. There was nothing big going on. But the the two-hole batter for the Phillies in the this lineup was uh, was a, a former running back from UCLA. His last name was Willis. I think he had some brothers like Kevin Willis. I know there's a guy in the NBA, Kevin Willis, but this guy's name was like Kevin Willis. And again, this is my personal take. I don't think he understood like whatever the baseball rules or the etiquette. Here's a football dude up there. He was a running back at UCLA and they drafted him. And I just, I lost a 2-1 pitch. I hit him right in the ribs. I mean, there was no like discussion or anything. I mean, bat went down. He came running at me. Oh, <laughs> I was damn. like, oh, oh no. Yeah, it was like, 
it was nuts. He came running at me and I just caught him. Like he swung and I caught him. And then we went down on the mound and like everybody piled on. He didn't get any. My catcher uh, had played at Arizona State, Tucker Hammergren. Um, Tucker grabbed him because Harry was on our team too, Mike Harrison. Oh, so wow. we, I had two I had two Pac-12 catchers on my team, a guy from Arizona State and a guy from Cal. But, uh, you know, I, he did get out there pretty fast. I mean, our catcher wasn't that fast, but nothing, you know. Oh, that that's how the story goes. So that was the first inning. There was two guys on. I hit him. Now there's bases loaded. He gets thrown out of the game, but I get to stay in the game. Um, (laughs) The next hitter comes up and hits a grand slam, which you know how that made them feel. So that's where I gave up the grand slam. That was in the first inning. So he charged, that was the other thing. He charged me in the first inning. Like this was all from, yeah, like he just didn't get it. But I gave up the grand slam, but I ended up going like six innings and giving up only those four runs. And I think we ended up coming back and winning the game. But boy, it's a different experience when you go for like you said the shake the handshake line or this or that like and when you hit somebody on purpose or you know you're retaliating you're kind of ready like i hit him yeah, i'm like I damn can't i lost being ambushed that's what i said I, i'm like oh i lost that two seamer inside like oh no he's coming like he he's on a <laughs> dead sprint gears. like oh no <laughs> here's a tall skinny tuttle going up against a ucla running back but uh you know i was no worse for wear uh, probably similar to what we already discussed there's not a lot of fist flying it's a lot of like tackling and you're pissed you pissed me off and i pissed you off kind of thing so but it was scary i mean that was the first time ever first and only time i'd ever been charged yeah it's crazy i feel like some of those uh brawls that they have now are a little bit different because there's so many eyes and so many cameras that these guys feel like they've got to uh not step it up but at least you know give a good show because it's going to be broadcast on every social media platform on the planet that's right. Uh, uh, Spartanburg, Spartanburg, South Carolina. Oh, Thank good you. pick. That was their low A time, low A time. There you go. So, and then lastly, I know it's only one question, but um, with the A's organization, I had moved up to double A, but my Winston-Salem team went to Durham and they had a brawl that made it on ESPN. Uh, Glenn oh, wow. Cullop got hit. He got knocked. I mean, it was like, they were throwing blows. I don't know how that started, but I remember hearing about it the next spring training. And the guy's like, yeah, this guy said this and that guy said that, but you do not want to be on a brawl in low A ball or A ball that gets on ESPN because you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not good. Meaning somebody brought a bat to a, <laughs> to a fist fight and you know, some, some bad stuff was going on. Anyway, that's a great question, but yeah, that was, that it's was startling to have question. Yeah. Yeah, have a dude come sprinting at you when you're not ready for it. I can't even imagine. I've never, and to be honest, I've never charged a mound. I would have made you charge it (laughs) next time I see you. Yeah. All right. Second question along those same lines: What's the biggest meltdown you witnessed? You know, either you know from a batter or a pitcher being taken out, or you know, batter striking out, or whatever it is. Um, I've seen plenty in the dugout. I may have actually uh, <laughs> been have part participated of one or two in one. myself, uh, where I, I've snapped and destroyed several bats. So I mean, there's always you know the, you know the Josh Reddick is the most current one that you know would you know, get out and go to Snapville in a hurry. Uh, there was always oh, man, where was it? We we had a punching bag underneath in the tunnel in one place where you could go underneath and just start taking your bat to this punching bag or just start slugging it, which is better than a metal cabinet or a concrete wall, as we're finding out through the history of the game where guys have broken their hands and done some stupid yeah. stuff. Just ask the Brewers closer. Yeah, exactly. Guy. Yeah, Je- <laughs> Jeffers. Uh, you know, that was one. Khalil Green did it uh, one year when I was in San Diego. It actually uh, got me uh, – I got a Rolex out of that one uh, because I had to play shortstop the rest of the season that year. Uh, that's a good story someday. Uh, we had a, in 
Houston, we actually had a room that was specific to getting ready and snapping where you could just, it was just a enclosed concrete room and you could just fire a bat off the wall or smash it into a thousand pieces and get some of that angst out. They actually um, built it for that. Was that right near the restroom down the tunnel or something? Yeah, it was right behind the dugout yeah. in the tunnel underneath. <laughs> and it, you know, it used to be like storage area until like all the stuff that was being stored was getting destroyed. So they're like, hmm. <laughs> Let's, move Let's make it a panic way. room. <laughs> it's it was. A panic that's exactly room. what it is. <laughs> it was a great. snap room. So that's we had awesome. our snap room. Uh, but the the best meltdown I've ever seen, you know, or been experienced with was uh, in spring training. I think it was 2008. And uh, Doug Brocale, veteran pitcher, comes into the game. And, you know, in spring training for veteran guys, you know, you're just in there trying to get your work done you know, and get healthy, make sure you're in the right place, make sure the body's ready to go for the season. And Doug Brokale comes into this game in Kissimmee and the wind is howling from home plate to center field. I mean, hurricane force. And for whatever reason, Doug cannot get the ball down in the zone. He comes in, you know, it's a laser beam to left for the first out. It's a double off the wall, double off the wall, laser beam to center field, two outs in the inning. And then he proceeds to give up like three more doubles and a home run. And he gets the he snatches the ball back from the catcher, turns around on the mound towards the towards the field, and uh, you know I may have said something to Doug like, "Man, you since you've come in this game, you've seen the back of my jersey more than you've seen the front kind of thing." And I don't know if that set him off or whatever, but he turns around and as loud as he possibly can. And keep in mind, you know, there's six or 7,000 people in the stands. Uh, Cecil Cooper again, you know, is the is the uh-huh. first year manager, and you hear. Okay, I'm going to cuss. I, yeah. I don't know how else to say this, but I'm going to cuss just for the sake of the story. So remind me to make explicit on this or have uh, Ramos <laughs> beep this out. But he gets on the mound, turns around, he goes, hey, hey, and he gets the entire attention of the team behind him, and he goes, back the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> he snaps and he tells everybody to back up and proceeds to give up another double. They weren't deep no enough, way. so... Uh, pitching coach comes out, makes the pitching change, comes back in, and you know Doug throws his glove into the dugout from the foul line. He's losing his mind, can't believe what's going on, and we have a meeting the de- next day, and it's Cecil Cooper saying, hey, you know what? We need to stop cussing on the field, and, that, and we had another episode after that with uh, Cecil Cooper, but that's, that's the biggest meltdown I've ever seen on a field. It was absolutely hilarious uh, to watch Doug lose it on the mound like that. So Cecil's making a couple appearances on the podcast here lately, and I think that story is a little more indicative of why guys didn't uh, love to play for Cecil Cooper than the last (laughs) one you told, but that's just my own opinion. I can't give you one like that. I mean, I think what makes that unique is obviously in front of the fans and in front of the nine guys behind him, eight guys behind him, that's a true snap, like very confident and like, hey, this I'm going to be out here. I've seen like what you've said before. I mean, guys, especially in the minor leagues, we didn't have a snap room. We didn't have people that care, you know, to kind of a punching bag, anything like that. I mean, we, I've seen guys destroy water. Um, my favorite thing about the snaps that I remember is guys smashing stuff or knocking all the cups down or all those stupid things is there's always the one guy in the clubhouse goes, Hey, just because you suck doesn't mean we can't drink water. Like, leave the water cooler alone. Like, and then that per, that precipitates like the next discussion. Like, f you, no f you. Like, Sounds I love like a on ES. Granky comment. 
There you go. But it's like on ESPN where they're like, I wonder what he said to him. It's, you know, like Machado and <laughs> T- Machado and Tatis going, it's probably something yeah. very simple like, hey, you spit on my shoe or you ate my gum. Like, I mean, <laughs> I think that's always what cracked me up about the snaps is like, you know, I remember I, I told you about this story in Durham. I gave up, uh, I pitched a complete game, which I never knew it was a complete game, but uh, two strikeouts, two home runs, Kevin Grijack hit one off the bowl to win the game, bottom of the ninth. And we just all went in the clubhouse and I'm not a snapper at all, but I remember sitting in front of my clubhouse and I had taken my hat off sitting in front of my locker and I just proceeded to rip my hat in half. I pulled the thing <laughs> off and I hit the snap and I just ripped the hat right down the middle. Um, but I don't, you know, afterward I'm like, why did I rip my hat? Like, you know, you pitched oh, that pretty darn happens. well, like, yeah. But it was just so stupid. So, but I, I think the snap stories are great. I do remember. I mean, you can, uh, you know, uh, agree with this or not. But there was always the one guy, like you said, it sounds like a cranky comment. That's like, if you're gonna snap, like, do it on your own stuff. Like, you know, don't ruin it for the rest of us. You know, the guy that hits all the sunflower seeds of the gum, and you're picking it up, like. Anyway, but yeah, I've seen it. We've seen it all, but it's funny. Yeah, the one that really stands out to me was uh, I think it was Big Poppy in Baltimore. I'm not sure if it was a bad call or whatever, but he took his bat and destroyed like every phone in the in the dugout. <laughs> that was impressive. It just and that was expensive, them. probably. Well, millionaire problems, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, millionaire phones. How much are three new phones for the call? Hey, can we upgrade those? No. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, that's a good one. All right, Ramos, you got one more. Yeah, well, y'all, y'all pick which one. And He's I'll, got I'll, nine more. He's like, I've got nine more. Like, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah we're, we're up against it, I guess. Uh, is, there a, is there a preference or an advantage of playing a day game versus a night game? Yeah, lack of uh, day games or lack of sleep and hangovers. Yeah, well, no, it's funny. I just touched on it with, with uh, the my brawl situation. Is like, I mean, I hate to use this as a, you know, patting myself on the back for my stats or my minor leagues. But if all the games in the minor leagues were day games, I would have made the big leagues quickly. And I will tell you... smarter than most of the average bears out there. Yeah, well, you know, as a starter, when you're starting every fourth day or fifth day in the minor leagues, it's like, dude, I'm starting tomorrow, and these guys have to be up at 11 because they're having the school children out in the stadium. (laughs) (laughs) All the classes, you know, they come... It is. It's like, go to the stadium day. And um, it it wasn't even that I was smart. It was like, I just, you know, you always... I always felt lucky. You prepared better. Right, because you're always prepared for your fifth day. Like, you already know ahead of time, like, oh, it's an 11 a.m. game. Whereas the guys the night before, you're playing an extra inning game. You just caught 12 innings. And now you're like, oh, God, if the manager doesn't give me a day off tomorrow, I'm going to be hurting. And, you know, you you mentioned the hangover part. I mean, 22-year-old guys do not always use their noggin and go, hey, it's 1 a.m. and I have a day game tomorrow. I was like, all right, I'll just have 12 beers tonight. You're like, okay. <laughs> so uh, so I would say there's definitely a difference between day game and night game. I'm sure the big leagues, it's the same. I remember spring training games, guys get into that routine. There's a lot of golf and stuff, but you could always tell uh, when guys wanted to opt out of that game, like, hey, it was mm-hmm. dollar beers at the at Dirt Bags in Tucson the night before. Um, which is funny because that the guys dirt that bags. Had, you like, just dropped dirt bags on me. Well, because the guys that were on the team, that was the fun part. Is that's where I met like Canerco and you know those guys would hang out there. They're already they already made the team, but you know again, they, those are the guys that would say, "Hey, I'm not going on the bus ride tomorrow." <laughs> so we're gonna let all the number seventy eights, the eighty fives, and ninety fives, the Tuttles. You guys are gonna go on the road trip. Thanks. 
No, that's the truth. And you know what? The other thing about uh, day games was for me is that different ballparks, you know, especially in the minor leagues where you don't have these big league batting eyes, uh, you know, and sometimes even the night games could be brutal because the lights weren't as good as they were. But, uh, you know, there were some exterior factors. But once you actually got into the gameplay, I feel like some ballparks were more conducive to day games as opposed to others. But, uh, you know, there were some times in the in the big leagues where, on defense, I would have an issue seeing the ball off the bat because the seats, you know, the seats were off colored or things like that. But uh, I feel like for the most part, uh, day games in the big leagues were were okay just because the batting eyes were better. Uh, the infields got a little bit harder and faster, so you had some benefits in that sense. But I really found most of the issue for me was actually on defense. And uh, just to give you an example of you know how how the issue could be is. Uh, we were playing, I think it was 99. It was early in my career. So it might have been 99. We go through LA. It might have been, I think it was, and Devon White was their center fielder. This is how far back we're going, by the way. And Devon White is, uh, he's either leading off or hitting second. So we get through the top half of the inning, we go to the bottom half, and I'm playing. Th- might have been 2000. I don't know, but I'm playing third base for the first time, you know, and I had, I had, I don't have much experience at third base in my career. So Devon White comes up, you know, there's, he's a little bit older, but he still can run a little bit. So there's a chance he might bunt. So I'm creeping in. Ooh. And for those of you who didn't spend much time on the West coast, they, they, the seats in Dodger St- stadium are supposed to replicate like the ocean or something stupid. I don't know. Somebody's owner's wife said, Oh, wouldn't it be great if they had light colored, you know, the yellow seats for the sun yeah, they're and, yellow. Yeah. and the blue for this and like a tan color for the sand. Wouldn't that be great? Holy crap. This woman never played third base at a day game in Chavez Ravine. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm standing there at third base and I've got, you know, I've got my Oakleys on my hat and then I finally take the Oakleys off, put them on my eyes and I'm going, dear God, I can't see the ball getting into the hitting zone. And I'm playing Devon White on the grass, on the infield cut of the grass to protect against a bunt. Uh, one. Just to remind the fans, um, especially in the big leagues, third base, the nickname for third base is the hot corner. So here we, here we go. <laughs> exactly. I think I know where this is going. So I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to see this baseball. I'm trying to acclimate. This is my first time in Dodger Stadium. And, you know, ball one, strike one. Ball two, and I'm still in, and I'm going, okay, be ready, be ready, be ready. And all of a sudden, the pitch, I feel the pitch is in the hitting zone, and I hear this, <laughs> and I'm and I don't see the ball and I'm like oh dear god oh, so immediately god. I put my hands up to my face because I know the ball's been hit but I have no idea where it is and of course you know self-preservation I'm going to be on TV and then you know 20 years after this so I put my hands up and protecting my face going oh god if I you know hopefully I don't take it off the the face <laughs> this thing hits my left ankle and just <laughs> wham hits my left ankle and goes flying into left field on it for a base hit, but I'm I'm jumping around at third base, going, "Oh God, somebody <laughs> shot me!" <laughs> That's like a sniper from the top deck got me. Oh you know, God. I was like, "Oh God, oh God!" And <laughs> dude, I'm I'm so embarrassed. I have no yeah. idea how that ball got there, where it went after it hit me, until somebody's throwing it back in, and it, you know, I went back in. Felipe Alou is like, "Oh, you know, this could be a tough ballpark to see the baseball come off the bat." I'm like. No shit. You could have told me that <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> it's like, thanks for the heads up, man. That's yeah, funny. meanwhile, I'm, I'm icing my ankle after, you know, Devon White hit a rocket off my left ankle into left field. So that's that's how day games affected me. It was more on defense than on offense. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But, you know, day games after a night game are never good. So 
anyway, we appreciate all the fans uh, writing in questions. That's all we got time for today. But please continue to write um, your questions uh, to bleacherblums.com. You can reach out to us directly. We have at Blummer27 on both Instagram and Twitter, at Real David Tuttle on both Instagram and Twitter. Get on YouTube. We have short hops on YouTube. And, you know, on bleacherblums.com and on the short hops, you might be able to see the studio that we were referencing before, the Blue Wire studio. Ah. But we had some good behind the scenes. Really nice. Yeah. Ooh. ah. And on every podcast, we like to give a shout out to first responders, uh, military, um, anybody that's putting themselves in harm's way. Um, we're still here coming out with booster shots and the COVID and all the deal that the healthcare workers and teachers are dealing with. But, uh, you know, just shot, we, shot, we, shot, 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 there you go. Shots. That my worst song ever in that one. But uh, <laughs> but we're really thankful and, and grateful for um, all the things that you guys are doing for us, our children, our families. And, you know, we just love to get on here and do the podcast. And, you know, you're a big reason why we're able to still do that. So uh, I would say I encourage you if you're over the age of 45 to uh, get screened for colorectal cancer. And Blummer, why don't you take us out of here? Strong work, my friend. Everybody else at home listening to this, get after it and believe it. All right. Hey, all Bleacher Blum fans out there, this has been a great December. And of course, during this time of the season, we want to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas. We've had another great year here on the Bleacher Blums podcast, and we want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a happy holiday season. New.